they came back and said to me, well, here's what we've worked out. You can work eight to five in the office and then go home and work six to 10. <laughs> so that was not gonna work. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for this podcast. If you are just joining us for the first time, I don't often mention this, but we are a podcast all about accounting careers. However, if you have been with us for a while, maybe even since the beginning in 2016, thank you so much. It just makes it so much fun to know that the listeners are out there and I appreciate all the feedback we get on the show. Thank you so much. Well, that clip is from our guest from this week, Amy Vetter, an accountant, a yoga teacher, and the owner of the B3 Method, which stands for Business Plus Balance Equals Bliss. I just love that. This is another intriguing story of an accountant that was able to morph their career into something that really better fit their personal family needs as well as her own personal strengths. Amy's career started along a traditional path, but then became more accounting technology focused. And now she's decided to serve the profession in the area of consulting on achieving balance. She's a published author, and she does keynote speaking as well. It sounds like a really, really fun life. I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. If you do find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online as well. You can find us at whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of audio and written accounting career-focused materials. We have books, we have blogs, we have other podcasts, of course, and we even have a few tools for employers now as well. If you're looking to grow your own career, one publication that you may want to check out, and it's free, is How to Ace the Phone Interview. It's a free two-page publication. Simply go to the Publications or Books section and search for Phone Interview, and it'll pop right up. How to Ace the Phone Interview. And once again, it's at the website, whereaccountantsgo.com. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with our interview this week. Here's Amy Vetter. Well, hello, Amy. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, to give the audience just a quick summary, our guest for today is Amy Vetter. I like to highlight all the different paths you can take with an accounting background, both you know traditional and non-traditional, so to speak, because I really do wholeheartedly believe that you can do anything with a background in accounting as a foundation. And Amy's career has definitely been a great example of that. Amy's worked both in public accounting and industry, but she's also had roles that have really been more marketing and relationship management related, as well as now being a technologist and a professional keynote speaker. I don't know this for sure, but I think we're going to probably get into at least a partial discussion of finding your true strengths and your true (laughs) self. (laughs) Am I right, Amy? (laughs) Sure. Yes, absolutely. Beautiful. Well, before we get into all that, I do always like to start at the beginning so everyone understands where you came from. What initially led you to start thinking about pursuing accounting as a career in the first place? Well, my grandfather was a CPA. He died when I was three years old, but his legacy of being a CPA definitely became part of who I was because my mom would talk about his life as a CPA and having his practice. So my grandfather was a immigrant and, you know, they lived 
an immigrant life and, you know, becoming a CPA, which the profession was very, very new at that time. He was a CPA in 1935. And, you know, this really was a way that changed his life and also changed the life of all the future generations. But the stories that I heard about him, you know, really gave me a feel for what he was trying to accomplish as well, where, you know, being from an immigrant neighborhood and having immigrant clients where everyone's trying to make a better life is very non-traditional compared to what the CPA world looks like today, where he was even bartering services. You know, my mom would talk about getting fur coat each year from one of his clients, you know, that was a fur year or, you know, him getting symphony tickets rather than paid from a client, you know, so things (laughs) that are different than the way, you know, things work today, but it was a way for everyone to help one another so that you could make a better life for yourself. So it really, to me, was that original really being a true advisor as a CPA. And, you know, my mother did not choose the path of going into accounting and instead became an art teacher. And I think, you know, there was some guilt or feeling like, oh, you know, maybe she should have taken that path because, you know, when he died, the practice went away. And she ended up owning a business later, leaving being an art teacher and owning some maid services that I would help in from the time I was 12 years old. So I was working in her offices. And, you know, I think she realized how much an accounting background really could have helped her as a business owner, even if you weren't becoming a CPA, but really just understanding all the financial aspects that a business owner has to deal with. So that really kind of led me into my path of deciding I was going to be an accountant. Even at the time I was 12, I was saying I was going to be a CPA, even though I had no idea what that meant. (laughs) and uh, started down that journey. Interesting. It sounds like there was a little aspect of wanting something better for your children there as well with your mom and the security that the accounting profession can bring. That is interesting. Well, I think at the point in time when we were talking about it, it was just, you know, a safer profession to go into where it was more dependable income that you would have if you went to college, you know, to become a CPA and so forth. Okay. Yeah, it's interesting. That thing comes up a lot, the security that is found in the profession. Sure, definitely. Okay. Well, now I know you worked in public and industry, but you want to get a little more detail on some of that. So what were your first few jobs out of college like? And what did you learn from them? In accounting? (laughs) I had a lot of jobs. Wherever you think it's appropriate to start. (laughs) No, uh, you know, my first accounting job was actually in college because my accounting degree had a co-op program, which is really an invaluable program to have because I graduated with work experience. So I actually started as a co-op at Chiquita, Brands International in their corporate office. And I was in their tax department that was filing state and local taxes and also doing like foreign returns for all the places they basically had these farms or huts (laughs) where bananas were being grown. So yeah, so I started with that. And honestly, that actually took me on a path away from tax because of having that experience. And I think a lot of times when you're in college, you're listening to everybody of, you know, what path you should go. I didn't know the difference between auditing and tax. And so people were saying, you know, you should do tax. You should do, you know, one or the other. And so I did it. It wasn't 
for me, like the job that, you know, I was the most excited about, it was a six month stint and then you went back to school and, and then I, and that's the fortunate thing about co-oping is that you get to try a bunch of different jobs before you graduate instead of making that decision after. And so then I got a job with, at the time it was Federated, but Macy's acquired them, but Federated owned a bunch of department stores like Burdines and Bloomingdale's and Macy's and so forth. And so I was actually working in their financial analysis department, helping an economist predict seasonality and also a merchandiser of when to take markdowns and so forth. It was a lot of prediction and forecasting, which I really enjoyed that job. And when I graduated, went to KPMG and uh, did auditing. So I started an audit. And one of the reasons I picked audit originally was just that you were able to get out of the office and, you know, experience all these different types of clients, which that was something that really appealed to me about audit. And yeah, that's where I started. Okay. You had some interesting, I guess we call them internships these days, but Chiquita Bananas and then this completely different retail analyst. Yeah. Kind of role. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, University of Cincinnati, actually, I mean, so they have one of the few co-op programs they still do. My son's going to be going there next year. And um, you start your sophomore year working. So in Cincinnati, I just went to their orientation with my son. There's over 400 Fortune 500 companies that are within the Cincinnati area. So there's a lot of access to major companies to get experience when you're young. And a lot of them are facilitated through different programs. My son's going in engineering. But, you know, you basically rotate every quarter or semester now. <laughs> it was quarters when I was in school. But semester, you know, you work, you go back to school, you work, go back to school. So you end up graduating in five years instead of four so that you can get the work experience before you graduate. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, you were great. KPMG for about two and a half years, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm curious about not just the decision to go into industry, but then the decision to become an adjunct professor, to start technology in the box. And it all looks like it sort of happened around the same time. Can you take us through that period in your life? Well, that period in my life, I was becoming a mother. And so oh, <laughs> life changed okay. very fast. So I started out at KPMG and audit. And I think I was actually just speaking at a university to their accounting students a month or so ago. And I was having the same discussion of you don't really understand the breadth of the accounting profession in the beginning. Because again, you're just kind of talking about tax and audit and not all the different areas that accountants work in. And I know another thing that happened during that time is I was told, you know, oh, you want to go into external audit, not internal audit. I didn't know the difference. And what happened when I was at KPMG is my family wanted to move to South Florida. So I started looking for opportunities or possibly transferring with KPMG to Miami. And Rider Logistics came up as an opportunity. It was an internal audit role. And so, of course, in my head, I was thinking, oh, I don't know if I should be doing this. Everyone said not to do it. It ended up being one of my favorite jobs ever. That job was a rotational job that they would send a lot of their promising, you know, new hires into internal audits so you could rotate through that in your first 12 months and really learn the business. I liked audit 
but I wasn't in love with it until I got to Ryder because there I was actually more hands-on. And the audit process, when you were on the internal audit side where we were making recommendations, and as nerdy as it sounds, I loved going into warehouses and seeing how the different warehouses operated and being able to make suggestions based on other warehouses that I saw in operation and what they were doing. And it started really opening my eyes to the business process and how, as an accountant, you can have an effect operationally. And so at Ryder, I started out in internal audit, and then I moved into a global financial analysis role where I was working actually with the sales team. And with logistics, you're basically, from a financial perspective, trying to make sure for any sales contract that Ryder was still going to make money. So for instance, like one of our clients was Toyota and, you know, you've got to predict how could you actually save Toyota money on their logistics from getting their parts shipped, land, sea, air, through trains, through how you're going to order it through the warehouse and get it onto the assembly line. Like it was so exciting. So you worked with, you know, logistics engineers and warehouse managers and the salespeople and attorneys. And I really got a good view of how you can get more integrated into the full operation of the business and make quite an impact based on your knowledge because, you know, not everybody has the financial acumen and understands the decisions that they're making and how it could affect the company from a financial perspective and how to get creative with what you could propose and so forth. So that job was a eye-opening job for me as far as what other things you could really get into as an accountant. And then basically what happened was I got pregnant during that role. And at the time, which is kind of funny looking back now, there wasn't the same work-life balance type offerings, you know, in the world. And I ended up getting very sick while I was pregnant and I was on bed rest and they agreed to allow me to work from home, which was kind of unheard of. And so, you know, throughout the rest of my pregnancy, I was working from home. Well, I ended up having a premature son. He came six weeks early and that was kind of a shock in the parenthood where before that I was like, oh, I could handle this all. And I had a commute to Miami and the daycare set up and I wasn't going to affect how I worked and all this stuff because it was very long hours in this job. And once having a preemie, it, it changed everything. And I went back to them and I said, you know, could I work from home a couple of days a week and then work there a couple of days a week? So they came back and I was working with all men and they came back and said to me, well, here's what we've worked out. You can work eight to five in the office and then go home and work six to 10. <laughs> so that was not going to work. So... <laughs> I'm sure it's changed a lot by now, but this was very early in the world of, you know, flex time and all this stuff. So I knew I had to make a change in my life due to the circumstances I was in. And so that's when I decided to open my own business and basically go this alone. And so I decided to open AV Accounting Services, which I'm sure you can notice what that stands for, Amy Better. <laughs> and But I didn't want to do an audit practice because I was actually concerned about the liability once I looked into it and since I didn't have partners and so forth. So I decided I was going to do a bookkeeping service and hire bookkeepers. 
And I, at the time, was looking at newspaper articles and trying to figure out, you know, how do you advertise yourself? How do you get clients? And I looked at one accountant's ad in the local paper, and they had the small QuickBooks certified uh, ProAdvisor logo. And this is like really early on ProAdvisor years. And so I go and research what QuickBooks is because I had always worked on much bigger platforms like SAP and JD Edwards and so forth. So I wasn't even in the QuickBooks world. And uh, look it up and see they have this ProAdvisor program. And at the time, I mean, literally, I mean, the resources that are there today for people to start these businesses, is I mean, there was really nothing. I was, you know, looking up other people. I went and just took the test and learned about QuickBooks that way. And I just really got it because I thought, oh, it'd be a credential that would look good for me. And it actually ended up changing my business because as soon as I got that, I started getting phone calls from clients saying, well, I don't really want you to take over my bookkeeping. What I'd like you to do is could you come out, look at what I'm doing, give me advice so I can ask you questions. So I just went with it (laughs) and realized like, wow, like, you know, the small business software was doing so much of what, you know, these bigger accounting softwares did for larger corporations. So I kind of learned as I went. And, you know, that's definitely something that you have to get over as a business owner is like, you're not going to know everything that once you're out with a client, they're going to ask you questions that maybe you don't know. And then you'll just need to basically tell them, I'll get back to you on that and research it. And that's what I did. That's how I started my business. And I realized as long as I was responsive and I would say, you know, I'll get back to you on that by tomorrow. I'd go home, research it, figure it out, get back to them and say, here's the answer. And they'd always be happy. So that's really how my business started. And then it just grew from there. Okay. You eventually got out of that, correct? Yeah. So I continued to own that business for 10 years and had some stops in between. So I became a partner in a CPA firm after my second son was born. And they basically wanted me to bring in my practice and also lead up um, what was called small business services there. So it was controllers, CFOs, bookkeepers, accountants, and it was all the outsourced accounting services. So I did that for a while, but realized I really wanted to be more on my own and joined up with a group, this technology in a box that, that you had asked about, where we focused on franchises at the time. Huh. And so we would create, you know, solutions for franchisors. So when they brought new franchisees on, it was a consistent training on financial acumen, on what their systems would look like, on their standard chart of accounts and things like that. And really did advisory work through that plus, you know, local clients we had. But I never did any tax or audit in my business. It was pure advisory services. We would, if someone needed tax or audit, we had very close relationships with other accounting practices and we would refer that work and they would refer work to us. And then I ended up during that time, same time, like you saw, I was a professor. So I was doing teaching as well as an adjunct professor and really started seeing my love for, you know, being in front of an audience and seeing light bulbs go on. And I met Doug Sleater, I think in 2004, and uh, started working with him on his books that were QuickBooks technical training books and did speaking for his group. And then Intuit saw me speaking at one of his conferences and 
and asked me to be one of their national trainers and writers. So I helped them with writing the advanced certification and doing the technical training around the country. And so this was while I still had my business, but I had other staff that was starting to do more of the client work while I was pivoting kind of into this other area. And what also happened at that time is Intuit was asking me to consult with them not only on product, but also with their sales team that they prior to that had been mostly a call center. They didn't have salespeople going out into the field and meeting with accountants in person. And so they asked me to consult with them and, and basically teach them how to have those conversations with accountants. So I would travel with their salespeople and lead the conversations so the salespeople would see, you know, how those conversations were facilitated with accountants. And then eventually they just asked me to come on board. So I sold my business. It was my next pivot in my career. And around 2009, I think, or yeah, probably 2009, I went to work for Intuit and sold my business around 2010. Interesting. I don't know if this is going to come out right. I apologize (laughs) if it doesn't, but I'm curious. You were doing so many things there for a period of time, your bookkeeping business and then also the technology in a box, just a lot of transitions with the, the adjunct professor. Was some of that due to necessity or are you the type of person that just prefers having a high amount of variety. <laughs> I I love variety. I'm an explorer. Okay. I mean, in the beginning, when I started my business, the adjunct professor thing was, I didn't know if enough money was coming in. So, you know, I started that at the same time to make sure I had income coming in. And then the business kind of started supporting itself. But I really discovered my love of speaking And then when I started speaking to non-accounting students, some of my classes weren't necessarily accounting students. Like I would teach accounting for MBA students, so they would have to go or accounting 101 students. And the first time that I spoke at a conference that was for adults, I realized all these people are self-selecting to be here (laughs) versus being forced. And that was like a whole other experience. Like I want more of that. You know, I got a lot personally from being able to see people go on their own learning paths and inspire people and really coming back to, you know, my background of a lot of entrepreneurs in my family, you know, part of the reason I do what I do besides, you know, having been told to become a CPA, but from a personal purpose standpoint, I saw so many entrepreneurs growing up and the struggles they went through. And my mom lost her business because of some bad financial decisions. She just wasn't, you know, didn't have the background to handle in the right way. And so I really saw my business as I was helping small business owners to never go through what my mom went through and to help them thrive and be able to answer the questions that they're not able to answer on their own. And then when I started speaking in front of accountants, I realized this is a one-to-many approach because every accountant I inspire to kind of change how they interact with their clients and maybe how they feel about the work that they do, you're actually impacting thousands of small businesses versus a one-to-one. So I got more and more passionate about that. And it really started kind of pivoting and allowing me to see my true self, my, you know, what things really interested me and what areas I might want to keep going deeper in. Okay. It's interesting. As of the time we're recording this, 
the other podcast hasn't been released yet, but I just had an interview with Jody Paydar. You may mm-hmm. recognize her name. Yeah. And there's a lot of similarities with your stories. I mean, each of you became entrepreneurs partially because you became mothers at the same time. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a lot of variety in her story as well. And there's an aspect of the one-to-many ratio that you're talking about. Anyway, that may be an interesting story for you if if you don't know her background. Oh, yeah, I do know her. You know, I would say the next pivot started going more into the corporate life of how do you affect accounting products from a subject matter expert side of it, which I was, and help them to deliver the best products possible to their accountant customers. But also, you know, I started speaking on behalf of many of those companies as well and going out and meeting more and more accountants and what they were struggling with and how to help them as well to go to this next level of, you know, there's so much disruption happening. And I think everything's been a perfect storm with the generational differences and the technology disruption and so forth where there's not really a choice anymore but to change. You know, it's hard to keep your heels in the sand and say, you know, I'm not going to move forward. And for me, you know, I left the corporate world over a year ago and really to go on my next pivot (laughs) of going deeper into this education and keynote speaking and, and learning business where independently, you know, not based on any one product, but really supporting the whole technology industry as a whole and our accounting professionals on how they actually transform to this next stage because it's happening. And I don't think anyone can say it's not. But the problem is I think a lot of people have fear of what that means for them and or their businesses and what I am trying to educate people on and get the word out is not only is this amazing opportunity for innovation and really thinking about what's important to you from a purpose side, but it's also a way to, you know, reshape your own life as well so that we don't have to be as consumed working 55, 60 hours a week if we put the right technology in place this you know, we're delivering our services in new ways and so forth. So the B3 method, you know, is an equation. It still comes back down to being an accountant, but it represents business plus balance equals bliss. And the business side is all of these different things that we're encountering, whether it's customers, clients, technology disruption, our employees, like we've got stressors, coworkers, whatever it is. But getting to this balance side of it is how do we use the things that come naturally to us internally to offset those stressors in our day and to help us to be more innovative and creative. And we really just have to look within, but it's a matter of truly pausing and allowing yourself to not keep rushing through the day, but actually be intentional about how you approach each thing, which equals the third B, which is bliss. And in yoga, What that means is the maintenance of happiness. And for many of us, we can feel happy momentarily, but we wait for it to happen to us versus being intentional about maintaining our happiness. And so having that awareness of when we feel off, when we don't feel balanced, when we feel too stressed out, what are the things that we can do to use what's natural to us to maintain our overall happiness? 
Interesting. I had noticed that you were involved with yoga, or was it Project Yoga or something like that there in Cincinnati? Yeah, well, I actually own a yoga studio, so I'm a oh. yoga instructor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it gets better. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's really bringing my two worlds together, where bringing this business side, the CPA side, and the yogi and technology side all together, but how do you do this in a mindful way? And how do you go about your life intentionally and live your life as authentically as you can, like you said, true to yourself versus what might have been put in there? So, you know, going back to my story, you know, I was told to be a CPA and I really, through this transition, and it really happened during that time, like more in my 30s of when I was a partner in a CPA firm, really realizing like, is this the path? that I want my life to go because I never, ever questioned it. It never came to my mind of should I be doing something else or not. And realizing that accounting was such a purposeful thing for me that it's not just about the business side of getting returns done or audits completed on time and billable hours and what your realization is. It's more about the purpose side of who I'm trying to help and why and making sure that my career aligned with it because, you know, I think we all have moments where we wonder, you know, is this what I'm supposed to be doing with my life and so forth? Like you make decisions when you're 18 years old about the rest of your life. So it's important to take those moments and pause and not rush through them and not just decide, well, if I throw up my career, if I do this or that, then that will fix it. It's really an internal journey take on your own of what are the things that you love the most about what you do and what are your interests that you have outside of work and how do you bring all of that together so that you feel more fulfilled in the work you do. And when you feel more fulfilled, everybody around you is affected more positively as well. So, From the standpoint of your line of business, are you going into firms or industry and working with executive management on this, or are you hired to come in and talk to their teams? What's your business model look like for B3? So, all of the above. So, I'm hired by conferences to speak. I've got a number of topics that I speak on, one being what I call the cherished advisor. And the reason I coined that term, and I wrote a book called Integrative Advisory Services that goes with that book. But it's all about when I coined that term cherished advisor, I was trying to think of the term that reflected the way my business ran with my client. And I really realized that You know, I remember in 2006 when I had my business and I was in South Florida and the construction industry went down and a lot of my clients were in that industry or supporting that industry. And I had a client call me one month and say, I only have $200. Can you help me? Can we meet? But that's when you know you're cherished because with their $200 that was left, that value that they thought they were going to get, the advice that they needed was worth them spending the last $200 they had that month. And so it's really something to think about of, you know, what do you strive for with your clients? And a lot of times we've been called in this profession, trusted advisors for so long that everyone just assumes they're an advisor, but an advisor has a lot of steps to it. So some of my talks with Cherished Advisor, I talk about really how do you design your technology transformation so that it's purposeful and in line with the kind of clients that you want to serve. 
how does AI and machine learning affect the work you do and what is the different business processes that you put in place. But a big piece of what I talk about is the soft skill communication because that is something that we don't spend as much time on in training and CPE work as we do on regulatory updates and so forth. But if we're really going to put ourselves out to be advisors, we have to spend just as much time on communication and making sure that we are communicating in the right ways that our clients understand what we're trying to get across. And that could be not only from a public aspect, but internally as a CFO, as a controller, do your stakeholders in the company come to you proactively or are you looked at as a reactive function as well? And so it's really kind of changing the paradigm on that. And the B3 method gets incorporated right into that as well is how do you make sure that, you know, you feel purposeful about the work that you do, the stress that you have during the day, how do you balance it as well? And what are you doing from outside of work to make sure that you're feeling that joy and happiness internally so that you show up with the people around you the best that you can. So a lot of my talks go around that and firms will hire me to come in and work with them. And I also have many corporations from an internal standpoint, hire me as well to speak to their teams and so forth of how they can rethink just their whole balance within their workload and how they're interacting with each other and with other departments in the organization. And then I've got a piece to the B3 Method Institute that is all online learning. So you can sign up and take these online learning bundles that we've created that you get sent every Monday, a five to 10 minute piece of learning. So it's not long, it's very micro learning, but to really assess yourself, different areas of happiness or getting back to who you are authentically and how to bring that into work finding purpose in the work that you do, being creative and innovative and things like that, which will, we provide a way for you to kind of journal how you're doing and what you'd like to shift and set an intention so that we can really try to do one thing a little bit differently consistently so that you can feel how it's working for you or not working for you and where you would make adjustments. And then I've got webinars about meditation and mindfulness and even guided meditations through that institute as well that you can even do, you know, at lunchtime if you like and shut the doors to kind of reset your central nervous system and so that you're more present for the people around you. Beautiful. Well, I want to make sure we leave enough time for the last three questions I end every podcast with and, and I want to make sure we're respectful of your time as well that you're giving us. Last question before we get to that. A large part of our audience is very early on in their careers. The up-and-coming you know, professionals, their first few years in their careers, a good number of students also, you know, sophomore, junior, senior in college. What advice would you have for people in that demographic that want to make sure they find bliss in their career. <laughs> what do they need to be doing now or what outlook should they have? Well, not give up your outside hobbies. Like I think one of the things that happens is we get so focused on all the things that we need to, need to do to get a job that we start losing that part of ourselves where we get joy. Hmm. And although obviously having a great career is very important, it also makes sense to make sure that you start incorporating now while you're still in school, where are you going to take some personal time that has nothing to do 
with getting ahead in your career. So there's lots of clubs you can do that will help you with your career and so forth. But when do you stop and read? When do you, if you like taking pictures, if you know, you like coloring or painting or things like that is to get a regimen of that while you're still in school. Cause it, it will actually help you be more present even while you're trying to get homework done and every, all the other demands that you have. Cause you feel like you don't have time to do those things, but all the research is that, you know, when you start overworking yourself beyond eight hours a day, you actually get diminishing returns on that. And if you really want to make sure you're most productive, you know, it's important that you're finding time to release your brain and clear it out so that you can solve the problems that you're trying to solve or be more innovative or whatever you're trying to do. It's hard to keep pushing against your brain every single minute of the day and get it at maximum performance. So this isn't a luxury. This is actually a way to keep yourself healthy and happier while you're going through school and give yourself a habit as you leave school and go into your uh, career. That makes a lot of sense. Actually, I think there's a lot of discussion about the importance of soft skills in the Mm -hmm. workplace. And I think the continuation of hobbies and having other interests outside of work just helps you better develop the soft skills as well. I think that there's a a strong link there. Yeah, that's really good advice. You start becoming more human. So one of the things that happened to me, just like you said, oh, I didn't know you were a yoga instructor. (laughs) When I started doing yoga in my early 30s, I didn't tell anybody at work because I thought I would be judged for doing it. And one day I was teaching a yoga class and one of my clients came in the yoga class and they're like, oh my gosh, you're the teacher? (laughs) And I was like, yes, I teach yoga. And so we were talking, but then some of the other yoga practitioners and they're overheard and they're like, wait, you're a CPA? (laughs) And it started this whole conversation and I'm like, yes. And they didn't see me in that light because they had never known, right? And so they're like, my husband's a CPA or my friend's a CPA. I need an accountant. Like it started like this whole conversation, right? And I realized how much more interesting I was as a person when I would share more of who I was and when you share more than the people that you're with share more and you start finding more commonalities between each other that you have similar hobbies or things that make you excited outside of work where someone doesn't just see you as a worker. They see you as a human and that definitely helps in soft skill communication when you can bring more of that into the workplace. Yes. Life gets a whole lot more interesting when everything doesn't fit in the same box, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I do end every podcast with the same three questions, and I want to make sure we have time for that. So I'd like to go ahead and get started there. The first one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? There's been many low points and high points in my career. I would say that my proudest thing overall is that I am a mother of two boys, and they will always view women and working differently than past generations. I've always incorporated them in a lot of the decisions I've made, even when I've made transitions in my career. You know, one of my jobs was a global job and we actually sat down and talked about what that would mean and how we'd have to adjust as a family because calls are at night. (laughs) They have been so proud as well as being a part of it and have their own opinions about things that go on and so forth. 
it's been that part of just sharing it with them where in the beginning as a new mom, I felt so guilty for working amongst women. It's hard. I think when you go back to work, cause there's many women that don't. And then you start feeling like, well, am I not as good of a mom? And I have realized with my kids that I have given them a different type of experience as a mom that works and the types of jobs that I do and they're proud of it and I'm proud of them you know and they're more open with what they want to accomplish and I think the biggest aha moment I've had through my career is that you know I when we go back to being a CPA as a safe profession I truly believe because of all the pivots I've made in my career and so forth that if you're passionate about what you want to do in life you will be successful because it doesn't feel like work and that is really how I've pivoted as a parent throughout my career of I want them to feel passionate about the work that they do and gear them in the direction and not try to put on them. You have to become an accountant or you have to do this or that more, you know, what fulfills you so that you're so passionate about going to work every day that it doesn't feel like work. Mm, that's a good point. Well, it's funny you said highs and lows because that leads into my second question. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, because really that's why I'm asking. But we like the really big colossal mistakes because those give us the, the biggest learning opportunities. <laughs> I think I've been a part of a number of partnerships. And I think it's really important that as you enter into a partnership with somebody else, that you Make sure that you have contracts that protect you, that protect your work, you know, that you don't end up afterward sorry that you got into a partnership in the beginning. And so I kind of talk about it like it's a prenup <laughs> in a marriage of, you know, you can't just assume, you know, just because you're happy one moment that you're going to be happy forever. And so it's kind of hard as you're getting to know someone and going into a partnership to be talking about the partnership agreements that you need to do and talking about, well, what if this doesn't work out? But those discussions actually show how strong of a partnership you will have if you can get through doing that together before you invest too much money. So I would say that's been the biggest learning experience, you know, hard experiences I've had out of partnerships of making sure that you do up front, even when it, you don't want to, what you need to do before you enter into a partnership. Yeah. Those are hard lessons to learn, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm always nervous about those items, too. I'll tell you, and this is your interview, it's not mine, but I'll tell you what helps me is I offered to go ahead and draft it, and I found that over half the time, the other person really appreciates that because it's a lot of trouble to go ahead right. and draft the agreement. And they know it's something they should be talking about too, and they weren't comfortable bringing it up yet. And so, yeah, so important. <laughs> well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Say yes to opportunities even when you're not ready. Oh, <laughs> you want to expand on that? Well, I think a lot of times, especially even might gear more toward women than men, but I think men even have it as well, where opportunities present themselves to you in your career and you might 
step back and go, oh, I don't know if I'm like completely ready. This is like where the imposter syndrome comes in sometimes. You know, have I had enough time in what I'm doing or I've never done that before? And the thing is, if you don't go after it, you'll never know. If it's something that excites you, you know, when I made that first pivot at Intuit and went into sales, I'd never been in sales before. And I was just excited for the opportunity. And I knew like I was going to do all the hard jobs, you know, like a lot of times people try to go into roles and say, well, I don't ever have to feel how someone that works for me feels like I've, you know, I've never actually been the sales rep. But I think it's important to do those sales calls yourself because you can never be a leader or a manager if you've never experienced what it's like to actually be on a sales call and feel what it goes through when you go through the sales process. And so there's been so many times where I've taken opportunities and I'm not even sure, like, I have the background to do. And then I learn so much about myself and I grow as a person because I did it. So I was listening to someone the other day and they made the comment, like, in order to not have fear, you have to beat the fear before it succumbs you. So they were talking about, like, cliff jumping. You know, you actually have to jump off the cliff before you think about it. (laughs) Because if you think about it too long, you're not going to jump it off. And so you know, take it and be excited about the opportunity and then just take it one day at a time and learn the process. Beautiful. That really is good to end this on because the overarching theme of the podcast is professional growth. And so that that definitely ties in really well. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Well, for the audience, this has been Life in Accounting. We are a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet come to our website, please do so. We have the show notes for all our episodes, including Amy's, of course. Plus, we have an extraordinary amount of other career-related content, such as books and publications and blogs and a whole bunch of stuff like that. Once again, that website is whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Amy, if people want to get in touch with you and find out more about how to book you, either to come work on coaching with their groups or maybe for a conference they're holding, what's the best way to find you? If you go to amyvetter.com, it has all the information there, both books I've written if you want to look into those books and also more information on the B3 Method Institute. Beautiful. Give us the title of those two books again, if you don't mind. The first book is called Business Balance and Bliss, How to Transform Your Career and Life. And the second book is Integrative Advisory Services, Expanding Your Accounting Services Beyond the Cloud. Beautiful. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.